2: I am fed up to here with this treasure hunt business. Yeah. Ira, you miserable worm, you lied to me. You said she was a city girl. Out of her element. Just get her in the map and bring him back. What went wrong? I'll tell you what went wrong. She's got herself a partner. Who likes shooting holes in everything. The minimum price for taking a stranded woman to a telephone is
0: $400. $375 in travel's checks? Not a deal.
2: Michael Douglas, Kathleen Turner. There's nothing you can say that'll make me go back into that hellhole. Stop it! (laughs) All right, I'll go back. But this time, you're coming with me. Romancing the Stone. Rated PG. Starts Friday, March 30th at a selected theater near you. In a world where podcasts reign supreme, two friends dare to ask, do you even movie? Hosted by filmmaker Enrique Cuto and movie aficionado David D. Neuer. Spoiler
1: alert. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome back to Do You Even Movie. I'm your host, Enrique Cuto here with my good buddy and co-host, Double D, Louis DeNoyer. Greetings. The man, the myth, the legend, and we're wrapping up Love Month.
3: We are indeed. We've already made it through our four selections, and I'm going to just say it. I think we saved the best for last. That's saying something. I know it is because I'm a huge fan of My Bloody Valentine, but I I fucking love this movie a lot.
1: Okay, well, <laughs> I guess I'm I'm honestly shocked that you would say that after we had done Stuck, Stuck in, in love, love, we did My, My Bloody, Bloody Valentine,
3: Valentine, Heather's last, week. Heather's, yeah. But yeah, there's something about romancing the stone that it hits every level for me, and that's why I was so excited to show it to you because when you told me. Via text message, because I sent you the lineup, and I was like, what do you think of this? And you're like, yeah, that sounds awesome. I've never seen Romancing the Stone, by the way. Well,
1: in my defense, I had seen Romancing the Bone. The Bone. That's yeah. That's what everybody always says. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm one of them.
3: I'm aware now. No-
1: <laughs> but no, no. I it was one of those that was around. Yeah. And just never really came into my life. and I But I was curious. And- yeah. Generally speaking, on this show, we try to do movies that we both think both are, are are but that we both think are worthy yeah. of of a lot of dissection. Yeah. But occasionally, especially if um, how do we put this? If my professional life is particularly busy, Fair. Um, then I just let you go ruckshot. Yeah. Because it's not like I mean, how often? In our friendship, are you gonna be like, dude, this is one of my favorite movies of all time? And I think it's an actual absolute piece of crap.
3: Slaughter High is it's really the pretty, only one that comes to mind. Yeah, but
1: Slaughter <laughs> High, okay. Slaughter High is cheesy fun though. Yeah. So you could say, like, oh, some people hate yeah. Slaughter oh, High, yeah. oh, rightfully yeah. so. Yeah. Um, as opposed to like romancing the stone or 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 stuck in love, where it'd be like, why would somebody not like yeah. those films? Yeah. So, and and I have to admit, I felt like I had missed out on a massive chunk of the 80s having not seen this film. I get that. So, and, and but before we get to that, I feel like we have to um, post, uh, pontificate okay. about love. Okay. Because you're wearing pink.
3: I'm, yes, and, I am. Uh, <laughs> I'm wearing my scene queen hoodie. Yes, I am.
1: Um And, and... <laughs> Actually, I worry we've pontificated too much about love on this show. That could be fair. Um, I I know that we unfortunately, thanks to you, lost our LinkedIn sponsorship. So... uh (laughs) I've, okay,
3: so so real quick story. Okay. okay. Um, a couple of my coworkers listened to the show, so shout out to them, uh, Tara and Jordan. And uh, they the, they came over to my desk on I, – I can't remember when, sh- when that show dropped. I think it was a couple weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, it was a few. And they came over to my desk, and they were like, is that LinkedIn story true? And I was like, unfortunately, yes. And they're like, what did you do? And I was like eh.
1: – <laughs> <laughs> And then you were like – Give me a little something from the snack machine, (laughs) and I'll tell you all a tale as old as time itself
3: I told them I told them the next party that we have where where we have time <laughs> I'll go into the whole story but yeah it was it was funny because I like they literally came to my desk and they were just like they were like that story really happened and I was like did you listen to the show and they're like we we did and I was like <laughs> shit people are listening to the show that, that I that oh, I am
1: so sorry no, 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 no,
3: that I interact <laughs> with on a basis so yeah. now
1: <laughs> I like on a, basis. On a like, basis I don't want to say daily cuz I mean I can't be sober that uh, often uh, but, yeah. I, 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 but well, you know, um I'm lucky my coworkers don't listen to the show.
3: I I'm, I'm aware of this.
1: <laughs> well, it's just Henwolf. Yeah. And uh, uh, she
3: may listen to the show, she just can't comment as much.
1: Well, she she the earbuds don't fit in <laughs> you know, in dog's ears. That's so, fair. uh but <laughs> but no, so um with that all being said, yes. Um I've been debating whether I want to share one of my weirdest dating stories oh. on the show. Oh. Oh. Um, I have a lot of them. So uh, this one is about, it's about, it's the Die Hard Breakup.
3: Yes, I was hoping it was. Because that's that's one of the Uh, things I love is you and I technically have Die Hard Breakup stories.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I don't even know. I've never told this story in a public setting. Um, Proceed. so, So years and years ago, I was living in New Jersey and working at a film studio. And I was living in North Jersey, just outside of New York City. And I'll tell you one positive of living in Jersey. Mm -hmm. The dating pool is is deep. Yeah, There's a lot of people. New Jersey is the most densely populated state in the union, or at least it was at that time. And I had met this girl and I was in a pretty, I can't believe I'm telling this story in public. (laughs) I was in a pretty dark place. And I had I was having a lot of problems with my sense of self worth and stuff, and I had went on this date with this girl who I would say was a knockout. I mean, okay. she was just obscenely attractive. I used to have a saying in my twenties when I would meet a girl that was very pretty. I would go, "I would make mistakes for that." I that understand. was my saying. I, I would just, I would you. make mistakes for that. And we went on a date and it was one of the worst first dates i'd ever been on okay she barely said anything she didn't laugh at my jokes which is impossible <laughs> by the way if you've been listening to the show you know unbelievably hilarious never ending humor mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. a fountain a fountain of 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 hilarity but we went on this date and it just it blew it was not good mm-hmm. and afterward, I went home and I was like, well, you know, I don't think there's going to be another date. And lo and behold, a few days later, she called me and asked me on a second date. Mm. She was like, hey, do you want to get together again? So I said, sure. And then that's when I started to wonder, like, maybe she was having a bad day. Maybe she was in a bad mood. Maybe she'd had a bad day at work or something. Or maybe I did.
3: Yeah. And and
1: yeah. So I was like, maybe it's all good. So we went on another date and it was the same thing. It was, like, comatose and boring. And it's one thing to be a boring person. Yeah. It's another thing to be rudely boring. I don't know exactly how to describe it. It's right. like she didn't just not laugh at my jokes or or, or give to the conversation enough. Yeah. She was, like, kind of shitty about it, too. Okay. So when that date's over, I'm like... That's it. Yeah. Like I'm going back to being super duper lonely. That's my move. Yeah. Cause I'm in a state I'm not from. My family's far away. Totally get it. What are you gonna do? You don't get it. How you lived like, you live like 45 minutes from your family. Fair enough. I mean yeah. no,
3: I only live like 10 minutes away from my family. <laughs> well no, I meant at, at, at your most oh, yeah, distance, yeah. At distance from your yeah. family. Hour uh,
1: <laughs> at that time I was a solid nine and a half hours yeah. uh by car. So on uh on Wednesday Of that week, she calls me again and asks me out again. And I just said yes, because I was like super lonely and pathetic. I I don't know how else to put it. I was just super lonely. I didn't have a a very good sense of self-worth. And I was just, and I was lonely all the time. So the, the morning of that Friday, when we're supposed to go out on Friday night comes and the whole day, I'm just dreading this date. And on top of that, I was, I mean, I was, I really cannot overstate that this story is, it, it, it it's only a horrible, horrible story mm-hmm. if you don't understand that I was in a really bad mental place.
3: Fair enough. Because yes. I
1: would never treat a person like I'm about to say yeah. I treated them. I get that. I totally uh, get that. But I was in a really bad mental place. So I came home from work dreading this date all day. Mm-hmm. I took a shower. I got myself cleaned up. I was tidying up my apartment. Um, because we were supposed to meet at eight o'clock. Yeah. And as seven o'clock rolled around, something just broke in my brain. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but yeah. my brain just snapped. Yeah. Honestly, I might have been on the verge of a nervous breakdown. That happens. I've had a couple. Yes. Okay. I've had a couple. I never freaked out at a Win Dixie and threw stuff at people, but I've had a couple nervous breakdowns, and that's not a brag. <laughs> no, I get it. That's that. a that's not a good time. Yeah. But for some reason, in my brain, my brain was like, okay, you don't want to do this. You don't want to go on this date. So don't go on the date. Just stay home. Put on Die Hard. Yes. And relax. Absolutely. So I do. Yeah. Note, there was no part where I call, call her, called her yes. or text her yeah. or in any way interact Notified with the person. Her, yes. Correct. So I'm watching Die Hard. And it's 815 and I get a call or I get a text first. And yeah. She's just like, Hey, are you, where are you? And my brain was like, I'm watching die hard. Duh. So I just texted and said, Oh, I'm watching die hard. And she replied and was like, okay. Yeah. Are you on, are you leaving now? Yeah. Like what is going on? And At that moment, in my muddled brain of exhaustion and depression, my brain was like, well, (laughs) you can explain to this young lady, this kind young lady... What's going on. What's going on in your head and how you're having strong emotions that you don't enjoy your company and all these hard things to get across. Or... Or you could explain the plot plot of of Die Die Hard. Hard. Yes. So I start telling her, you know... These terrorists have taken Nakatomi Plaza and John McClane wants to meet his wife. So she calls me and she's like, what is going on? Are we getting together? Are we meeting or what? What is happening? Yeah. And I just started going, well, John McClane was at the party, but he didn't. He wasn't invited. Oh so God, when the I- terrorists take the place, he's throwing a wrench in everything. But if they find out who his wife is, she, they're going to use her against him. Yeah. And she was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, he doesn't have any shoes. And there's broken glass everywhere. Fight. And I kid you not, long silence. Yeah. Long silence. Long silence. And then she just sighed and went, you're a fucking idiot. Never call me again. And hung up. Oh,
3: my God.
1: And then I finished watching Die Hard.
3: As, as you should.
1: And and then over the course of many months, I healed.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I get that. So there,
1: I wanted... <laughs> I wanted to make it up to you. You, without me actually conjoling you yes. heavily, you told us a very embarrassing yes, story I did, of love that I forgot
3: about until, until this show.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, good. You know, we're that's what we're all about here. Yeah. I want to oh, yeah. make sure if you can be in pain, you should be in <laughs> Exercise pain. Exercise those demons. Yeah. So there you go. Yes. So anybody out there who is thinking, boy, I want to date Enrique, well, good luck. Like, so God. Uh, but with that all being said, yes. tonight's film is the 1984 uh now classic, I would say. I would say Romancing so. the Stone.
3: Yes, sir. Double D, you want to give those deets? I would love to. So 1984 is Romancing the Stone, one hour and 46 minutes, rated PG, mind you, by the way. You just seen it, rated PG. Are you surprised at all?
1: Um, well, this was
3: before... PG-13,
1: yeah. if it did exist, it barely, barely existed. existed. So I yeah. think I think this is a solid 80s PG.
3: Absolutely, yeah. So this film is directed by some guy, I've never really heard of him, Robert Zemeckis. Ah, Bobby Zem. Bobby Zem, indeed. So <laughs> Bobby Zem started in 1975 as a writer on Kolchak the Night Stalker.
1: I did not know he started on Kolchak. I didn't Kolchak. either.
3: Then he goes on to do I Want to Hold Your Hand, where he was the writer and director in 1978. He does 1941 and 79, where he also wrote the screenplay... He directs and writes Used Cars in 1980, then does Romancing the Stone in 1984. Now, Back to the Future comes out in 85, but I'm going to stop right here. We're going we're gonna to do a spoiler right now for you. something I have usually saved in the notes.
2: Spoiler alert.
3: Romancing the Stone was going, in everybody's mind, to be a huge flop. Really? It was going to be a huge flop, so much so that Zemeckis was fired. He was preemptively fired from directing Cocoon because they were just <laughs> like, this isn't going to do, we don't want this guy back. Damn goes on to be a monumental success, which I'll get to in the notes later. So much so that he got to do his passion project, which was Back to the Future in 1985.
1: Well, and I want to point out, though, that you're like, you're like, as I'm going to point out in a second, the director of Back to the Future became famous. Yeah. Yeah, I think we know that,
3: Double D. So, Back to the Future, 1985. (laughs) Then he goes on to do Amazing Stories in 86. He directs uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit in 88. Does Tales from the Crip in 89, where he was a writer on it as well. Back to the Future 2 in 89. Back to the Future 3, 1990. Writer of Trespass in 1992.
1: For real? For real? I forgot about that. That must yeah. have been one of those screenplays he wrote a while back it had and, to and have they been. picked up because Bobby Zemeckis, uh, <laughs> Robert Zemeckis, was in high demand. Yeah. Uh, ever since back to the future it yeah. really kind of stapled him because uh, cemented him yeah. and you got and don't forget he didn't just do back to the future he did 2 and 3 yeah
3: 2 and 3 which he, was, I mean I'm just, I'm just mentioning
1: like he was the man Yeah. him and his the other bob uh bob gale, bob gale yeah. who wrote back to the future with him yeah. uh they are the team that made a seminal Cult, not a cult classic, a world classic. World classic. Everybody loves Back to the Future.
3: Absolutely does. So then he does. Uh, he does. Death becomes of her. Death becomes her as a director and producer in '92. Does Forrest Gump as a director in '94. Never heard of it. Bordello of Blood Writer <laughs> in 1996. Him and Bob Dale did that one in college. Yep. Then he uh, directs Contact in '97. What Lies Beneath, where he's the director and producer in 2000. Castaway 2000, director. Polar Express, writer and director in 04. Does Beowulf in Chris Christmas Carol remake, the Jim Carrey one in '09. He has Flight in 2012, The Walk 2015, Welcome to Marwin 2018, and then uh, in 2020 he writes and produces or writes and directs the Witches remake that was for HBO. Really, mm-hmm.
1: I man, I have. I am shocked how many holes I have personally in Robert Zemeckis' directing. I I, I have not seen so many of those.
3: I didn't know. I I forgot about The Witches. Witches actually is pretty solid. I love the original with Angelica Houston, which might be a future episode on here. And then last directorial uh, was Pinocchio in 2022.
2: Do You Even Movie will be right back. What if you could have a career?
3: plus
2: welcome back to do you even movie
3: producing wise though I was just curious he was the producer on Tales from the Crypt Demon Night* in 1995, The Frighteners 1996, House on Haunted Hill remake in 1999, 13 Ghosts in 2001, Ghost Ship 2002, Matchstick Men 2003, Gothica 2003, House of Wax 2005, Last Holiday in 06, Monster House in 06, and Real Steel in 2011. Well, and,
1: and it's worth mentioning, too, he was one of the brain trust of Hollywood elite that brought Tales from the Crypt into the world initially yeah, as a TV show. Absolutely. Uh, with him and Richard Donner and all and um uh Joel Silver and yeah. all these big Hollywood big guys. Hollywood names. Well, and and it was crazy the idea that there was this this TV show on HBO. And it had the biggest names in Hollywood behind. It. I mean, yeah. basically, it literally—you could have literally said "Tales from the Crypt" brought to you by everybody but Spielberg.
3: Basically, yeah.
1: <laughs> and people are like, "Why is it Spielberg here?" It's like because he has amazing stories. Yeah, exactly. That's why he's
3: not here. And since we're on the subject, shout out to our buddies Gil Adler and Al Katz. We love you
1: guys, Gil and Al. You guys are uh, uh, the men behind making uh, making Tales from the Crypt. live Live on longer because they took over on season three, brought the show in under budget, and allowed it to live on for seven full
3: seasons. So shout out to our buddies. So wrapping us up or no, excuse me, not wrapping us up. So then we move (laughs) on to the writers. So this is a bit interesting. So we have Diane Thomas, who is the main writer credited on Romancing the Stone. She also gets credited in 85 for the characters for the sequel, Jewel the Nile. There's a sequel. It's not that good. Oh, oh.
1: We'll
2: talk.
3: We'll talk. Uh-oh,
1: oh, oh. oh. Um, Where's
2: the... Where's the watch out, guys? It's a hot take. Not a hot take at all.
3: (laughs) Not a hot take at all. Hateful. Dave is hateful. So Diane Thomas, unfortunately, um, with this being her only writing credit, it's because she passed away in 85 due to a drunk driving accident uh, with either her husband or boyfriend at the time. They they unfortunately uh, crashed going 80 miles. And I believe is a Lamborghini. Like, it was it was really sad. I read about it earlier. Um, with that said, there are three uncredited writers on here. The first one we have is Lem Dobbs, who did Romancing the Stone in 84, then does Hider in the House in 1989. Wait. Yeah.
1: The Gary Busey
3: that film. Gary Busey, Ali Sheedy, Hider in the House. With
1: literally <laughs> one of the greatest posters oh, yeah. in the history of cinema. Oh, my God. Yeah. I cannot recommend enough look up yeah. the poster for Hider in the House. Also, watch the film. Yes. But, but that poster, it's literally like this woman's all snuggly mm. in her bed, and then there's just this really artful like window with blue light
3: and just Busey. <laughs> just staring. <laughs> Terrifying. I love Hider in the House. No, it's a great one. So Lem Dobbs, Romancing the Stone, 84. Hider in the House, 89. Then goes on to write the hard way the um, James Woods and... Um, Oh, my God. Michael J. Fox uh, uh, action comedy from 91 where I,
1: I did not know about. So that.
3: Michael J. Fox plays an actor that's going into a new role as a cop. So he decides to observe James Woods. I saw that on cable. Oh, yeah. No, was, I, was, I saw that on yeah. cable as a kid. So then there's Kafka in 1991, Dark City in 1998, The Limey in 1999, The Score in 2001, Fear Itself in 2009. Oh, really? Yeah. And then uh, Haywire 2011 and, unfortunately, Gotti in 2018, but we won't hold that against uh, Lem Dobbs. Wow, hateful about Gotti, huh? Uh, Have you seen Gotti? No! Yeah, I didn't think so. (laughs) So then the second uncredited writer is Howard Franklin. Uh, He did Name of the Rose in 1986, Someone to Watch Over Me in 1987, writes and directs Quick Change in 1990. Okay. Um, Then does The Man Who Knew Too Little in 97 as a writer, The Big Year in 2011. And then our final uncredited writer is Tara Silverman. She starts out in 1964 on The Entertainers, goes on to work on That Girl in 67, Captain Nice in 67, The Monkees TV Show in 67, Dean Martin Show in 68, Room uh, 222 in 69, The Bill Cosby Show in 71, and Mary Tyler Moore Show in 74. That is a busy, busy schedule. So you've technically got... Uh, Four writers on this film, uh, but props to Diane Thomas. uh, Rest in peace as well, because I I think uh, from what I've read, uh, primarily her script is what was still kept. There were just touch ups with these writers for the most part. A lot of a lot of uh, character fine tuning. Like, the, 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 the addition of uh, Joan Wilder's cat was, was one of the writer's additions to make her more <laughs> accepting to the audience. More, more sad. Yes. <laughs> so then wrapping us up is a, a cinematographer. I really am not familiar with much of his work. Uh, Mr. Dean Cundy. Dean Cundy, eh? Dean Cundy. I mean, he doesn't have much on here. You know, we've got uh, so he starts in 73 as a director of photography on the No Mercy Man, goes on to do Brothers and Run in 73, Where the Red Fern Grows in 74, The Witch Who Came from the Sea in 76. How did I forget he shot that? He's uncredited on it. Uh, you Have you seen that? Uh, not yet. It's on my shutter list because you have that box set.
1: I discovered that on Arrow's American Horror Project, yeah. I think is what it's what they call yeah, it. American Horror Project. And it, it's where it's, they release a three pack of kind of lost classic American horror movies. Yeah. And they're always interesting. Yeah. That one also had like Maltesta's carnival of blood and one other film I'm forgetting.
3: Uh, yeah, I can't But believe it.
1: The Witch Who Came From the Sea, which was a video nasty, which I don't see why. It's not that nasty of a film, although it does have some, actually, it gets pretty churning. Hey, shout
3: out to but, our buddy Rob Fields right now, who's literally watching every single one of them. Every
1: video nasty, baby. But <laughs> that film was, if I'm remembering correctly, was directed by Matt Simber.
3: That sounds correct, yes.
1: But do you know who Matt Simber is? No. Matt Simber was the man behind GLOW. Gorgeous Ladies oh, of Wrestling. Oh, shit. Okay. And he's the guy Mark Marin plays in the Netflix series. Oh,
3: that's awesome.
1: And Simber made a boatload of exploitation movies before he got tied in with Glow. Yeah. And Simber was known for being uh, a lot yeah. to, to take. But, uh, you know, though, I could see Cundy shooting it because it looks really Beautiful. good. Yeah. It's a, it's a fun, weird, slow eerie flick. Yeah. And I do recommend it um, uh, quite a bit. I love, I love watching a restoration of a movie everybody forgot about. Yeah. No, it's, There's, a, it's That's it's one of my time. favorite things in the world. So anyway, yeah. but that one just, I had no idea.
3: Yeah, so Wish from the Sea in 76. Creature from Black Lake in 76. Oh. Yeah. And then he goes on to do The Human Tornado in 76. Satan's <laughs> Cheerleaders in 77. Now we're cooking with gas. And then in 78, he does a little film called Halloween.
1: Uh... No, I think I've. No, I'm thinking of Memorial Day. Memorial
3: Day, yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. yeah. <laughs> Rock and Roll High School in 79. The Fog in 1980. Escape from New York in 81. Halloween 2 in 81. The Thing in 82. Halloween 3 in 82. Psycho 2 in 83. Romancing the Stone in 84. Back to the Future in 85. Big Trouble in Little China in 86. Big Business in 88. Who Frame Roger Rabbit in 88. Roadhouse in 89. Nothing but Trouble in 1991, Hook in 91. How
1: did I not know he shot Nothing but Trouble? Oh, he shot Nothing but Trouble.
3: <laughs> Death Becomes Her in 92, Jurassic Park 93, Casper 95, Apollo 13 95, What Women Want in 2000, Looney Tunes Back in Action 2003, Episodes of the West Wing in 05, The Holiday in 2006, Jack and Jill in 2011. Finally something good. Diablo in, in uh, 2015 and most recently he's been shooting episodes of The Mandalorian.
1: So, Dean Cundi has one of the most interesting DP lives, director of photography lives. And we've talked a lot about, we love to cover cinematographers on the show because cinematographers generally have very interesting careers where Mm -hmm. they take the jobs they can get in the beginning. And then they usually fall into a groove, but Cundy fell into a different groove than many others because Cundy was doing B movies. He was doing whatever work he could get. And then he fell in with John Carpenter and became John Carpenter's go-to guy for a decade. But then he became Bob Zemeckis's go-to guy, mm-hmm. which led to him becoming Spielberg and then Ron Howard's go-to guy. Yeah. So he literally, at one point, was a go-to director of photography for all of the Academy Award-winning directors yeah. in the world. Yes, And he was one of the most sought-after directors of photography. I think the only person... In my opinion, and maybe I'll be, I'll find out that there are more like this. Yeah, that has a career that interesting as a cinematographer is Daniel Pearl. Yeah, you don't know who that is. Do you? No, I do not. Look at this hateful bastard. Look at this hateful bastard. The here.
3: name sounds really familiar, but I can't think of any goddamn thing. He right now.
1: was the director of photography on a little tiny movie called Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Massacre, yes, and he became. The IT DP through the 90s doing music videos and commercials. He's still working like crazy. Wow. And in a fascinating Hail Mary, he had directed a ton of music videos for a guy named Marcus Nispel. Hmm. And Marcus Nispel went on to get a job directing Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the remake. That makes sense. And Marcus called up Daniel and was like, would it be unheard of? To have UDP the remake of the movie UDP'd to start with. yeah, And Pearl was like, if you want me, I'm in. Yeah. And so so Dan Pearl DP'd the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which could not be more different films stylistically. Absolutely. Texas Chainsaw Massacre... For the film nerds out there, it was shot on high-grain 16 millimeter film so that it would look better when it was blown up to 35mm film but still cost less money than shooting on 35. So Pearl had to use the brightest lights he could get access to. Yeah. He had to use direct sunlight half the time to get actors to expose. Um, famously, the scene where Uh, The cook is uh, beating the crap out of the hitchhiker in front of the truck. Those aren't headlights because the truck's headlights weren't bright enough to expose the film. Oh, my God. So they were actually 2,000-watt lights put in front of the truck's headlights in order to get that effect. Because the film was so lacking in light sensitivity. That's why you have all those stories about when they were eating, they're doing the dinner scene, the food started rotting. Rotting, yeah. Because the lights were so hot. Yeah. And... Just in case you you know wanted it to be more unpleasant, it was the middle of Texas summer. Yep. So they would be in a room with uh, uh, like a grand total of 20,000 watts of light. Jesus. And it was 110 degrees outside.
3: Oh, my God. So,
1: and this was an era when air conditioning was optional in houses. So Dan Pearl, another guy, holy crap. I mean, and I don't even know half of his his catalog. I just know look. that he's still yeah. one of the main guys. Kundi is kind of in a quasi-retirement. Yeah. he's up there. I mean, he's got to oh, yeah. be 80,
3: maybe. Easily.
1: Um, But Pearl, Dan Pearl, I follow him on Instagram. <laughs> he's still traveling the world filming stuff.
3: That is awesome.
1: Super interesting. And that's why, I know I say it a lot, but that's why we cover and salute yes. our cinematographers. Because you never know, ever since that one day... I was watching This Is 40 by Judd Apatow and yeah. I went, who DP? Because it looks, it's really grainy and cool. And then I found out it was the same director of photography as Stripped to Kill Two yep. Live Girls. Yep. That was when I realized, holy crap, directors of photography, you never know. I mean, um, oh man, I'm forgetting his name right now. But uh there an Oscar-winning uh DP shot three or four movies for Al Adamson.
3: Yeah, I remember you and I talking about
1: that. Yeah, he even was in the documentary talking about yeah. it. So they were the first people willing, uh, I think That's his name nuts. was uh, Vilhelm or something. Yeah, it, that sounds it, about right. We'll talk about him eventually because oh, yeah. one of his films will come up sooner than, Absolutely. than later. But anyway, I digress, but Dean Cundey deserves quite a digression.
3: Well, and I think he will be welcomed back to the show with that with that lineup, I think.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Were any of those films on the list good? Yeah. <laughs>
3: 18 plus
2: welcome back to do you even movie
3: so (laughs) getting into the synopsis of romancing the stone this is from the back of the 20th century fox blu-ray it says when her sister is kidnapped by thugs searching for a priceless jewel in columbia a romance novelist soon finds her own life filled with adventure she sets out to rescue her sister and meets with a handsome fortune seeker who convinces her to beat the bandits to the treasure Nice. My synopsis, a romance Ah. novelist finds herself sucked into one of her own adventure novels when her sister is kidnapped by thugs who are hunting priceless treasure. With the help of a handsome treasure hunter, the the two are on Face Against Time, a race against time, and bounty hunters to rescue her sister and find the jewel while falling in love along the way.
1: Aww. Yours is a, is a lot more of a Streisand. You know, you're not wrong. <laughs> no, yours is the girl one. So
3: I will say, before we continue, um, Romancing the Stone is unfortunately not streaming anywhere right now for free, as we say. Uh, you will <laughs> have to rent or buy it, but uh, it's it's worth it, in my opinion.
1: I, is, what it's made me realize to... To cut to the chase a little too fast. Yeah. Is it's made me realize, boy, do I need to dig into Zemeckis' filmography, especially his early stuff. Yeah. I really need to because I have always been obsessed with Back to the Future. Yeah. And I ate up the commentary tracks on that first DVD set. Oh, yeah. With him and Bob Gale. I could not get enough of them. Yeah. Uh, so now I'm like, boy, I gotta, I gotta check out more stuff he's well, done.
3: And on the same note as commentary tracks, if you find Cundey on commentary tracks, those are worth a listen. No, he's fascinating he to is listen so to. He so fun yeah. to listen to. I remember he did
1: an interview on, um, Killer POV or Shockwaves, yep. one of those podcasts. Yep. And he was fascinated Had to listen the to. Stories,
3: yeah. So rounding us out is our cast. We have a, a little name named Michael Douglas in this. Uh, Mikey Douglas. Mikey Douglas. Little Mikey Douglas is in this? Little Mikey Douglas is in this. Playing Jack Colton. He first started in 1966 uh, with Cast a Giant Shadow. He then does Hail Hero in 1969, Summertime in 71. Gets his big start on Street to San Francisco TV series in 72. Then he uh, grabs Coma, the film, in 1976. The China Syndrome in 1979. Have you seen The China Syndrome? I have not. Oh, man, that's on the list. That's on the list. (laughs) The Star Chamber in 1983. Does Romancing the Stone in 1984. And then... Listen to this career from this point on.
1: Yeah, because, I, I mean, I, you were not even a twinkle in your father's eye when I was watching Michael Douglas yeah, in movies. Exactly. So, I, <laughs> so Jewel of the Nile
3: in 1985, Fatal Attraction in 1987, Wall Street in 87, Black Rain in 1989, War of the Roses in 89, Basic Instinct in 92, Falling Down in 93, Disclosure in 1994, The American President in 95, Ghost in the Darkness in 96, The Game in 97, A Perfect Murder in 98. Traffic, 2000, Don't Say a Word, 2001, The In-Laws Remake in 2003, The Sentinel, 2006, Ghosts of Girlfriends Past, 2009, Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps, 2010, Haywire, 2011, Behind the Candelabra, uh, 2019, or, uh, 2013, Las Vegas, 2013, Beyond the Reach, this is what I wanted to ask you about. Have you seen Beyond the Reach? I have
1: not seen Beyond
3: the Reach. It's his most dangerous game. So he uh, goes out to these dunes with this, uh, with this guide, and uh, he accidentally shoots a guy while they're out there. And the guy, of course, is like, Well, we have to tell somebody. And he's like, No, we don't. Wait, 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 wait. What's the title again? Beyond the Reach. That takes place in the desert? Yes. No, I saw it. It's so good.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I remember that one. No, and it's, it's really good. Really good. No, no, because uh, the cover is him with the cowboy hat in the yep. right. No, I saw yep. it.
3: I oh, saw yeah. it on streaming. No, it's great. Yeah. So Ant-Man 2015, Avengers Endgame 2019, and then Mania in 2023. Again, uh, curious about his producing credit. so I just looked at it. He was a producer on One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest in 1975, hmm. producer on China Syndrome in 79, producer on Romancing the Stone, Starman in 1984. Really? Jewel of the Nile, 85. Flatliners,
1: 1990.
3: Why is he on? Stone Cold, 1991. Double Impact, 1991. Made in America, 1993. (laughs) Face Off, 1997. The Rainmaker, 1997. And Ratchet, the Netflix series in 2020.
1: All right, I want to say something. (laughs) I want to know why Michael Douglas had all these producer credits, because I have a theory based on nothing. Yeah. I want to preface this. I am basing this just on my brain right this second. I have not done any research. Okay. But the only guess I could have for some of these films Mm -hmm. might be that maybe he was at some point attached to star in them.
3: And that could be, yeah.
1: And then either was no longer available or they didn't want him anymore or he aged out of the role and he ended up being a producer producer as a way to buy him out. Yeah. That is literally just a guess because all of those films you mentioned – ...are really epic, and he could have been in them if they were maybe 10 years earlier. Yeah. So that's my guess. But for all I know, he's just a prolific producer and loves movies. But that was my immediate thought. Again, based on nothing, I'm a liar.
3: So moving through our cast, Kathleen Turner plays Joan Wilder in this. She got her start on The Doctors in 1978. Body Heat in 1981, that was her second movie. I had no idea.
1: I would not have guessed that she was that new.
3: Yeah. So then she does The Man with Two Brains in 1983, Romancing the Stone, 1984, Crimes of Passion in 1984. That's a
1: feature film.
3: Pritzi's Honor, 1985, Jewel of the Nile, 1985, Peggy Sue Got Married, 86, Switching Channels, 88, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, 88, The Accidental Taurus in 88. Wait, who is she in Who Framed Roger Rabbit?
1: Jessica Rabbit. Oh, okay. I, thought, I <laughs> yeah. Sorry. No, so it's
3: fine. I did the same thing when I read it. I was like, wait, who is she? Oh, never mind. War of the Roses in 89, V.I. Wacharski in 91, Undercover Blues in 91. The Simpsons, 1994. Future episode, Serial Mom in 1994. Oh, yeah. Serial Mom is how I first discovered Kathleen Turner. I love Serial Mom. Uh, Simple Wish, 1997. And welcome to the show, 1999, baby geniuses. Yes!
1: Finally! (laughs) We're finally here! We finally made it, my friends! So... An inside joke in my group of friends, but especially with poor young David here, Mm -hmm. is whenever he's trying to figure out a movie, he's like, what's that movie with so-and-so-and-so-and-so? I always go, oh, is that the movie with the babies that are are geniuses? geniuses? Or if you say, like, have you ever seen blank? I'll go, uh, is that that movie with the The babies babies that are geniuses? It's a long-running joke. I cannot get enough of it. But we
3: finally, we've arrived. We've arrived. So, uh, Virgin Suicides in 99 as well. Voices on King of the Hill in 2000. Makes an appearance on Friends in '01. Monster House, '06. 06. Nip Tuck, 06. Californication, 2009. Got
1: her character in Californication
3: so good. You remember Nurse from 2013? I never saw it, the 3D movie. God, you're lucky. Wow. No, it's bad. Wow. It's, Dave hates it. I, I really, really wanted to like it because, like, Jud Nelson is in it, and there's, a, there's a pretty good cast in it. But of course, what? Judd Nelson That's, is
1: that Nurse 3D. The yeah, same? Nurse 3D. Okay, I just want to make sure I yep. was okay. Yeah, I never saw it.
3: Dumb and Dumber Two, 2014. Family Guy, 2017. Rick and Morty, 2019. Mom, in 2020. The Estate, 2022. And she has a movie coming out this year called The Long Game as well.
1: Well, I didn't know she did so much voice work, but it makes sense. She has a very oh, yeah. recognizable voice, even when she's a young pup in this film.
3: Absolutely. And rounding out our cast, Mr. Danny DeVito, who plays Ralph in the movie, he got his start in 1970 with the film called Dreams of Glass. <clears throat>
1: Excuse me. How dare you?
3: He goes on to do Peg Leg, Musket, and Saber in 1973, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, 75, Car Wash in 76, The World's Greatest Lover, 77, Going South in 78, same year he nails Taxi in 78 and basically has a series for, uh, I think Taxi ran what seven? Ten taxi seasons? was a
1: long-running hit. Yeah. yeah,
3: the Gong Show movie, 1980, Going Ape in 81. Terms of Endearment in 1983, Romancing the Stone 1984. The Ratings Game, where he actually has his first directorial as well, in uh, 84. He does Johnny Dangerously in 84, Jewel of the Nile 1985, Ruthless People 1986, Throw Mama from the Train, which he also directs in 87. Twins 1988, War of the Roses, another directorial for him. Batman Returns in 1992, Hoffa 92, which he also directs. Jack the Bear in 93, Last Action Hero in 93, Look Who's Talking Now in 93, The Larry Sanders Show in 1994. We're seriously going to
1: go through Danny DeVito. Oh,
3: yeah. yeah. I mean, the guy's been in so much good stuff. But this is, I mean, this resume just keeps going. Uh, Junior, 94. Get Shorty, 95. Matilda, 96, which he also directed. Space Jam, 96. He directed Matilda? How did I not know that? Oh, man, have you not seen the bonus feature on the Blu-ray where he
1: has the tea party reunion with the cast? I knew that he was a major element. Oh, yeah. For some reason, my brain just did not remember he was the director. You want to break your heart real quick? Is it about the girl?
3: It's about the girl, but do you know the story? I know it basically, but go on. So Mara Wilson, I read her bio, really, really good bio. Um, She tells a story because uh, Mara Wilson's mother um, unfortunately passed pretty young.
1: This is the young woman who played Matilda Matilda, in Matilda.
3: And uh, her mother passed pretty young, and one of the things that she was talking about Danny um, later on, I think actually like when they were filming that Tea Party reunion for the bonus features, is she said, I wish my mom could have seen the movie, and Danny revealed that he took a print of it to the hospital and showed her a few days before she passed.
1: Yeah, I heard. The, yeah, and then they they spent a lot of time taking care of her. Yeah, uh, him and his
3: wife. Yeah, no, they would have they would have Mara at their house all the time. I love that story, but yeah, it makes me tear up. Uh, oh, so, boy,
1: Dave. It's okay. You're L- okay. Sit up straight.
3: L.A. Confidential in 1997. <laughs> Hercules, 97. The Rainmaker, 97. Virgin Suicides, 99. Man on the Moon, 99. We've got to do an episode of Man on the Moon.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's inevitable. Yeah.
3: Drowning Mona, 2000. Heist, 2001. Death to Smoochie, which he also directs in 2002. Duplex, which he also directs in 2003. Big Fish, Be Cool, Deck the Halls, Noble Sun, Win in Rome, The Lorax, Dumbo, Jumanji Next Level, and Haunted Mansion in 2023. Man works
1: yeah well, it's almost like there might have been something that was holding up a couple of movies for a while and made them all come out at once. Weird huh? yeah, I don't know what that could have been. yeah. But, uh, so, yeah. Uh,
3: this was your first time watching my yes. first time watching this, I grew up with this movie. We had it recorded off of HBO, so we had the VHS tape that had Romancing the Stone written on it, and like half the label was torn, so it was like amancing the Stone. We watched this all the damn time growing up. Um, I've Aww. probably seen this movie easily 30 times, if not more. It's one of my parents' absolute favorites. And um, my love was rekindled for it when I, my dad and I watched it a couple, actually, probably been about a year ago. And uh, this movie has just always stuck with me. I love that it's just, it, it's got a little bit of everything, which we'll get into, of course.
1: Uh, well, a little bit of everything. I, I would mean, say everything. well, I mean, yeah, you've got romance, you got stones, you have got adventure, you've got um, some pretty good racism towards Latinos. I mean, I mean, you know, for 1984, the way they depict the people of Colombia. I, it could have been worse. Yeah, it could have been. Also,
3: could have been a little better. Could have been a little better. <laughs> but this movie also um, really opened my eyes to Michael Douglas because this is the this is the movie that got me interested. Now, given I was still young, so I had to watch like cable viewings of it, but like. Um, not basic and that was the first one that came to mind, uh, fatal attraction. I, I watched pretty young with my mom, like growing up. That's not awkward. Not at all. No, not at all. Um, like the American president, I remember seeing, like I went after his filmography pretty hard after this because I, I mean, he's a badass in this for one.
1: I, I got really into Michael Douglas when I first saw falling down, falling down yeah. which I saw when I was 22 for the um, first time.
3: Fifteen or fourteen when I bought my VHS from around about books and. Trade. I,
1: I'm glad I didn't see that young because I wouldn't have understood any of it.
3: I remember like, <laughs> like my my falling down story. Um, so I had gotten the VHS and uh, was watching it in my room, and I was watching it before I was supposed to go to a party. This is what a little shit I was. I brought the VHS to the party with me, but not to share with everybody. I went up to another bedroom because this this my buddy my buddy's house. Like his his stepfather was a real estate mogul, so they had a mansion out in. Uh, Springboro area i want to say i literally went into a bedroom where i knew a vcr was and like closed the door and watched like the last 30 40 minutes of falling down by myself
1: wow you're you're a piece
2: of shit (laughs) well
3: and then that ending i was just like all right i'm gonna go back to the party now
2: (laughs) please no
1: david
3: wow yeah i broke away from a party to watch falling down by myself i i will never
1: forget watching it as a 20 something and that moment where he goes I'm the bad guy. I'm the bad guy. Blew my mind. Yeah. Oh, anyway, uh, that's a, that'll inevitably be on the show. Yeah. Oh yeah.
3: So, are you ready to get into this magnificent film?
1: I will not rest until a stone has been romance. <laughs> until
3: a stone has been romance. So we start with a shot inside of a shack as a door is kicked open and we meet a man named Grogan who is holding a gun on a woman as a narrator tells us that Grogan was the guy who basically made havoc in this woman's life killed her dog raped and killed her sister burned down her uh, dad's farm killed her father like the list goes on and on and grogan's holding a gun on her and threatening her and he's like where is it and she like motions to a satchel on the bed he goes to the satchel and he picks it up and then he like has her start taking her clothes off she's undoing her garter belt pulls out a knife sticks it right into his heart with the throw and grogan is dead she rides off in the sunset meets jesse which is a man on a horse that is basically saving her from the rest of grogan's men and that's when we find out that we're uh, we're finding the end of a romance novel as we meet Joan Wilder.
1: That Joan is writing currently; she's literally writing yeah. the end, the end. yes. As we find out that she is a successful romance writer, yes. And then she heads into the she heads out to go find tissues because yep. she's crying. Yep. And then uh, opens a the door to ask her, um, you know her, uh, her the man in her life, the man in her life, if he wants to celebrate. Yes. And the man's a cat. Named Romeo. Most realistic moment of the entire
3: film. <laughs> so she's celebrating. She's getting her liquor. She's getting the cat food. And she drinks her shot. I love that she opens
1: the little liquor bottle with yeah. a pair of pliers. Pliers, Because yes. it's like reference later on that she just can't open little bottles. Yeah.
3: Well, and you said the thing about her crying. She's looking for tissues around the apartment. Goes to the box. There's none left. Goes to the toilet paper roll. None left. And then she finds a note that says, buy tissues. Takes that off and blows her nose into it. Yeah, was, very,
1: very funny. I like so it so good.
3: So she feeds her cat. Takes her air liquor bottle, drinks it down, and then throws the plate and the glass into the fireplace because she's celebrating. The novel is done. Her phone rings. There's no answer, so she puts it back on the receiver, and she leaves to go drop off the manuscript to her agent, Gloria. Uh, while she's leaving, she helps a woman up the steps, and the woman's like, hey, I stopped the postman. He was trying to fit this in the box, and he couldn't do it, and she gives her a package, which is from Cartagena. So it's a package not addressed to her, but she has the package now, and she goes to meet Gloria. But while she's out meeting Gloria, we see somebody... Start to enter her apartment who has a a copy of her book and he's looking for her. He finds her apartment. The maintenance man comes out and he's like, hey, hey, that's uh, that's Mrs. Wilder's apartment. Who are you? And he's like, oh, I'm I'm looking for. He walks over to him and stabs the maintenance man.
1: (laughs) And it should be mentioned uh, that that's a city in Colombia. Yes. And also, it should be mentioned, the reason he has her book is because there's a photograph, photograph of her on of the her. back of yes. the author, and he's using that to find her.
3: You know, they never address the maintenance man stabbing. I've always, the last couple of watches, I'm like, yeah, oh, he yeah, just, that's never touched on. He just dies horribly. He dies yeah. horribly, and his body's stuffed somewhere. Yeah,
1: he's, he's blue collar. Nobody <laughs> yeah. cares.
3: So Gloria meets up with Joan, and they're at a restaurant, and they're looking over guys, and Joan is just not interested, and Gloria comments that she's waiting for her Jesse. And Jesse is Joan's character from her books that is her her man of the hour who saves every Character. The dreamy
1: dude who rescues her heroine yes. in all of her book Do you even movie? We'll be right back.
3: Lucky Land Casino
1: asking people, "What's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?"
0: Lucky.
2: Welcome back to Do You Even Movie?
3: So Gloria questions how her sister Elaine is doing, and have they found her husband's body yet? And that's when Joan tells her just that one piece.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of heavy, dark stuff. Yeah. That is like the the story is established in very dark things we find out that he was mutilated yes um uh, by some very dangerous
3: people very dangerous and of people. course those
1: dangerous people are now after our heroine. After our
3: heroine. Because she also says that Elaine sent her a package. She hasn't had a chance to open it yet. And uh, that's when Gloria says, well, Elaine always lands on her feet. We cut to Elaine in Cartagena fleeing her apartment. And as she's driving out in her car, we see a kid noticing her. He starts spinning a bola, spins it, and it wraps around her and knocks her out into the car. He takes the car. The kid literally leaps into the car and just drives away with her in it.
1: <laughs> and a bola is uh, a rope with two rocks, basically, yeah. or balls on the ends so that when you throw it, it wraps around things. Uh, I had to
3: look it up for Dave. Yes, you did, because I was like, what's that called? Because it's not a slingshot.
1: No, at first it looks like a slingshot until he lets it go, yeah.
3: So we see the kid pull into the compound that's housing crocodiles on the water, and that's when we meet Ralph, played by Danny DeVito, as he sees Elaine being taken to a boat, and Ralph goes over to his brother Ira and talks about, you know, I'm nervous about this kidnapping business, we have all this loot, like, why are we doing this? And of course his brother is like, hey, one more big score, then we all retire. And I've never
1: heard that before in a disingenuous <laughs> way. Whenever there's a big score, we all retire. It's we just the retire. way it works, kids.
3: So Joan returns home and she finds her place completely ransacked. Like he he went in there and turned everything around. I,
1: I found it to be sacked. sacked. I don't know if it was
3: ransacked. If it was ransacked. Yeah. Uh she gets scared because her cat leaps on her, so at least he didn't kill the cat, which I'm happy with. Yeah. I loved you I loved your line. You're like, hey, I let him in. <laughs>
1: Yeah, the cat just looks her in the
3: face. I let I let him in. So she gets a call from Elaine, and she's like, I can't talk right now. And that's when Elaine is like, did you receive a package? And she's like, yeah, yeah, I have it right here. And we see that she's being held hostage by Ira and Ralph. They've got a knife on her. And she's like, I need you to bring it to Columbia. I need you to bring it to Cartagena. And you cannot tell anybody, and you cannot bring anyone with you.
1: And and the reaction yeah. is, uh, her reaction is like she just asked her to take it to the moon. Yeah. And that's when we find out as she's talking to her friend and agent that this woman lives for her books only. Yes, it's she's not a cat lady simply because she's uh unattractive, which she is not. She's beautiful. This is Kathleen Turner at her most dreamy, mm-hmm. uh, ingenue, uh, you know era. Yeah, but we realize that she does not travel. She nope. does not go anywhere. She nope. really just writes her books and hangs out with her cat. Yep, but. In a moment that really I thought was very touching, when when her friend is like, "You get air sick, you get train sick, you get car sick, you yeah. get everything sick," she's like, "It's my sister, yeah, and she needs me." Yes, and I love that because that really establishes that we are heading into an adventure with yes. uh with a uh how would we put it a uh a soft-footed, soft a tender-footed, <laughs> yeah, tender-footed. A tender- footed a tender footed that's the tender
3: footed there we go tender
1: footed. Uh, adventure, an adventure with a t- tenderfooted woman.
3: Yes. And also, I do want to point out that, of course, she's leaving, so she gives Gloria her cat, and she goes, I need you to feed him and hold him once a day at least. At least, yeah. She's <laughs> like, I'll feed him, but I'm not picking him up. <laughs> so Joan continues packing. She goes outside, gets in the taxi, and shortly she arrives in Columbia, and we see Ralph is waiting there for her, and um, Joan is looking for the bus. She's asking people if this is the bus to Cartagena, and that's when the man from her apartment, who we find out his name is Zolo, he's like, yes, this is the bus, and we are revealed that it is not. That bus is going to a place, I believe we said it was like San Felipe. It looked like, like it was San
1: Felipe. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't like I caught it just out of the corner of my eye. But the bus had just gone to Cartagena. Yeah, and
3: they swapped the sign. Yeah,
1: because well they picked it up and flipped it. So yeah. that bus only went to Cartagena or, or San Felipe. Yeah, uh, and uh, But she doesn't know. The thing that blew my mind is so now she's on this bus. Yeah. And the only person who appears to speak English is the guy who stabbed her, her Zolo, yes. Her, the guy. And and he's the one kind of helping her a tiny bit yeah. by putting her on the wrong bus and yep. stuff. But as she's like asking the bus driver who doesn't speak English, she's going, Cartagena, Cartagena. He's going, What? What? Like he doesn't understand. It's like, I'm sorry. I've been to a foreign country where they don't speak English. Yeah. If you go to a person who drives a bus or a T- a taxi and you say a place they know what you're asking yeah
3: especially if it's the city that's there <laughs> they
1: know they know <laughs> what that means how could he, he's like why are you saying a place over and over what could it mean
3: well and unfortunately since he's distracted by her question he crashes into a broken yes. down jeep in the road and this is quite a crash like they they smash right into this thing the jeep goes up all the birds and everything that are in the back of it and yeah cages. there's
1: cages and cages of wild birds yeah
3: and they all hit the ground and then of course the bus unloads and everybody from the bus just starts stealing the cargo from the jeep and they're taking the birds they're taking the plants they're taking (laughs) everything from this jeep
1: and then just hoofing it somewhere hoofing it
3: and then uh she's distracted by finding her suitcase it's off to the side and joan is now left with zolo and he's like you know don't worry another bus is coming and she thinks that everything's okay and that's when zolo pulls out a gun and he's like give me your bag and as this happens we hear some whistling and we see a man coming over the hill and zolo points his gun at him he's like hey freeze Fires a shot and empties his canteen because the bullet hits it and the water just starts spurting out. And,
1: and I apologize. Maybe my brain is a little muddled. Yeah. Did we mention what the thing she has is? Oh,
3: no, we did not. We we glanced over the MacGuffin. Oh, my God. I MacGuffin. forgot about that. Yeah, because they reveal it in the phone call. We
1: glanced over the MacGuffin. She got in the mail yes. right bef- the day before her sister called a letter from her husband, who is now deceased, Yeah, and it's a treasure, treasure map. Treasure map, yes. So it's a treasure map in Colombia. Yep. It's where the treasure is. Uh, we there's so much to get into yes. and so much adventure. And for those who don't know the term MacGuffin, it's something Alfred Hitchcock, I believe, invented. Sounds right. It's just a term for a thing that motivates everybody. Yeah. It could be anything. It's just a MacGuffin. Yeah. So he used to write screenplays and just say he goes for the he picks up the MacGuffin because he'd figure <laughs> out what it was later.
3: That's great. So,
1: uh, yeah. So anyway, that's the MacGuffin. That's what she has on her. That apparently. This uh, guy, what was his name again? Zolo. Zolo wants. And now we're finding out that Zolo is not with the people that have her sister.
0: Yes.
3: Those people are small time criminals. Well, not just
1: that, but they're oddly kind. Yeah. They actually aren't like a beating her up or anything. They're feeding her and whatever, but they just want. The treasure. Map. They want
3: the treasure. Yeah.
1: So he and fires, they even refer to Zolo as a butcher, as the butcher. They say he's like a butcher. He's yeah. evil. They're like whether you call him Doctor Zolo or General Zolo, or General Zolo. He's a butcher. He's a butcher.
3: So the canteen's emptying, and of course the man wastes no time. He draws his shotgun, and we have about a minute of firefight between these two.
1: A hell of a firefight <laughs> where where uh, Douglas is just bam 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 yeah. bam bam. I mean, he is just blasting everything blasting with that the bus, shotgun, blasting
3: the jeep, yeah. blasting at Zolo. I mean, the gunfire is exchanged for a bit to the point where Zolo just hoofs it down the road.
1: Yeah, because Zolo's got a little pistol and Douglas is just reloading the shotgun again and again. So many shells, my god. Yeah, no, I mean, he seriously lit up everything. Yeah,
3: so Joan is taking cover under a bus, uh, under the bus, and Zolo runs off, and that's when we meet Jack Colton, the owner of the broken-down Jeep, as he's pissed, because all these birds are gone now. Yeah,
1: which, and they don't quite mention it, but uh, that would make him what we call a A poacher. poacher, Yes. He was was capturing uh, fancy birds, and then He was going to smuggle them out of the country and sell them for big, big money. Yeah. So now he's livid, half a year's work is gone. Yep. And of course, our main character. Needs help. Yes. He speaks English. He's American. She asks him for help. He has no interest yeah. until he finds out she's got green.
3: She's got green indeed. So he finds her under the bus and she's like, you know, I need help. And he's like, you know, not interested. And she's like, I'll pay you. Meanwhile, while this is happening, Zolo gets picked up by Ralph, who is looking for Joan, of course. Ralph
1: played by Danny DeVito, who is the representative of, I guess we'll call him the good guys. I guess. I guess the the guys, the criminal. The lesser element. bad guys. The lesser bad
3: guys. <laughs> <laughs> and he um he knows who Zolo is. So he's yeah. ignoring him and he's like, I don't Terrifying. speak English. And he's like, well, maybe you speak French. And so he well, no, ends up... He, no, he oh, says, yeah.
1: I don't speak English. He just goes, I hate Americans. I hate Americans. Americano. Puh, puh. Uh, puh, puh, puh. And he goes, ah, you must be French. Yes. Which is a great line. So good.
3: <laughs> so Jack, digging through the wreckage, finds a picture of a sailboat stating, it looks like we're going to have to wait a little longer. Joan questions the nearest town, and he says, oh, that's Miami. And he's like, Cartagena <laughs> is on the very, very far side of this. Of yeah, this.
1: she is, She spent all night on a bus going away from Cartagena.
3: Yeah. So she asks for his help. Of course, he refuses. And she's like, you know, I'll pay you 50 bucks. And he's like, I may have a sense of humor but not that much goes to a hundred goes to 200 and jack's like 500 and she's like 375 in travelers check he's like you got a deal
1: well because at that moment he realizes That's all she got.
3: Yeah, that's all she got. (laughs) So they begin to trek as the storm moves in. Ralph drops off Zolo at a local police station, and Zolo tells them to assemble their men. As they're walking, heavy rain starts to hit Joan and Jack, who are trekking the road, and Jack uh, sees that she's struggling with a suitcase, so he ends up just chucking it over the side because he asks her if there's anything valuable in it. Yeah, is
1: there anything valuable in it? Uh, Do you have any walking shoes and umbrella? And when she says no, yeets Yeets it away. But then, as she's angry about it, she gets mud slide. Uh, hits a mudslide. Yeah. And then b- b- before he can even laugh at it, yeah. he falls down the mudslide as well. because he's like, oh, shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and they slide down yeah. like like a full-blown luge course. Oh, it's
3: insane. Like, it is insane, and then they hit this huge body of water, and what's funny is he lands right between her
1: legs. Yeah, it, like his head lands right between her legs. Yeah. And when he stands up, he just starts laughing, and then he just, I love it, he just pushes his hair as his face, and he goes, what a morning this turned out to be. And then he <laughs> asks her his
3: name, and that's what he tells her, that she's Joan. And uh, So at the police station, Ralph calls Ira, explaining Joan's mess up, and one of the funniest things in this whole conversation is Ralph notices that their wanted posters are on the wall. Yeah,
1: that he is on the wall as a- the wanted poster so he's like hiding his face from the cops he has his hand like separating them and then as soon as they look away he rips it off the wall and, and
2: falls then off the counter the desk. <laughs> so, so he good. tells
3: he tells ira that uh zolo is there and that's when zolo is sitting with elaine and he's like oh well it seems like somebody else has joined you know the squad and she's like the man that murdered my husband he goes the butcher that married your husband or that, m- that murdered your married your
1: husband, your husband. <laughs> da, 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 a new da, story that would be but yeah and that's when we realize that there's a hundred percent two different people after going them. after this. Yeah. And that one is much more dangerous than
3: the other. Yeah. So Jack chops the heels off of Joan's shoes because he, she needs practical walking shoes. Zolo arrives at the squad and opens fire on them, making Jack question, what the hell did I do? He's like, oh, they're after you. What did you do?
1: Yeah. And I will mention he yells to the to the cops firing at him. Yeah. He yells, got yes. Uh Basically, what. Basically I would assume he was trying to convince he was telling the cops that these were guerrilla fighters uh, okay. um in the woods in the in the jungle which is a thing was a thing yeah. may, st- may still be in Colombia is that guerrilla war uh, fighters yeah. hide in the jungles usually the communists
3: Every time I think of guerrillas I think of Captain Ron Of course you do <laughs> So Zolo arrives at the squad. They start opening fire on them. Jack's like, you know, who the hell are you? And they take off going through the jungle. They make it to the edge of a cliff. And quick thinking, Jack gets ready for another firefight. Meanwhile, Joan's like, hey, there's a bridge. And he's like, that's not a bridge. That's ancient ruins. Like, we do not (laughs) want to go on that. No, sir. She doesn't listen. She ends up falling through the bridge. But as she does, she swings onto a vine across to the other side. And Jack's like, well, holy shit, I'm going to go do that. (laughs)
1: Well, uh, it's not like I want to go do that. It's like, well. That's the option. That's the option.
3: And of course, you know, she makes it to the other side fine. He slams right into a rock, which if you pay close attention, you see the rock just go in just a little smidge.
1: Close attention. If you're looking in the direction of the
3: screen. If you're you're watching an HD transfer. It's a very soft rock. It's a very soft rock. So they make it (laughs) it to the edge. And uh, Joan enjoys a shot while Jack catches up with her. And it's one of my favorite lines because she's just sitting on the ground drinking one of her airline liquors. And he's like, what are you doing? drinking and then he takes a shot <laughs>
1: yeah. and then the bullets start whizzing past him again
3: <laughs> so they catch up with them and zolo and his men move in on pursuit zolo and his men give up after a bit and they decide to try another route moving through the forest they come to a crashed airplane a big crashed airplane in the middle of the jungle with
1: with a pilot dead pilot dead pilot just hanging out of the window with aviator glasses on and
3: a grateful dead jacket because we Great find reveal. out there is a bunch of weed on this plane. yeah
1: which i loved his line because she's like what is this he's like uh this uh uh, she's like, drugs,
3: or I don't know she's she said. Uh, what, what is it? He's like a five, to 10, or five, five to, 20, to ten
1: years in America yeah. and a couple centuries here. Yeah, That's what he says. And she's I like, oh, marijuana. <laughs> yeah, and then he's like, Mari- you, you smoke marijuana? She's like, I went to college. Uh, I went to
3: college. <laughs> so Jack is, uh, they decide to take shelter in the plane, obviously, and while trying to start a fire, he's looking for matches in her bag, and that's when he finds the map. And he's like, you and I have a lot to talk about. Yeah. So we smash cut to them putting weed onto the fire that they're burning as the fire in the plane. So they're just getting baked. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. He's like, hey, not a bad fire, huh? (laughs)
3: And Jack's looking over the map and he explains uh, the map leads to what they're referring to as the heart. And he's like, you know, do you know what that is? And she's like, I have no idea. I just know that the men want this and I'm going to give it back for my sister. And he's like, well, what if we took this map and found the treasure before they did? And then you've got a better bargaining chip for your sister. Because
1: they want the map. Because they want what's there, so if we go get what's there, we can march into town and yeah. and have a, the best bargaining chip.
3: And while this is going on, I do want to mention one of my favorite lines. Uh, Jack finds a really old copy of the Rolling Stone that he's flipping through, and <laughs> while she's talking to him, he's like, "Shit, the Doobie Brothers broke up." And he flips over the magazine, he's like, "When did that happen?" <laughs> yeah, and she's like, "How long have you been away from the states?" <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> while they're uh, while they're enjoying the fire, um, she's like, you know, making sure that like he's on the up and up, and that he's not, you know, just going to take the map a snake comes up behind her because it's a great fake out because you think for a second he's going to go after her because he raises a machete, kills the snake, it's a Bushmaster, and that's what they end up eating.
2: Do You Even Movie will be right back. Welcome back to Do You Even Movie.
3: So we see Zolo's mercs arrive at the police station and they hand him his uniform, and that's when we know shit's about to get bad.
1: Yeah, it's about to get real, real bad. So
3: back in the plane, Jack finally tells Joan his name, Jack T. Colton, and he explains that he's a fortune seeker, and with his loss of the birds today, he set back about $15,000. They talk for a little bit, but Joan eventually passes out, and de- that's when Jack hawks the map and starts studying it, and he finds a marking called the Devil's Fork, which is the next thing they have to look out for. So the next day, Joan and Jack are hiking through the town as they run into some drug runners who just start kind of trailing behind them, and you know, Jack's like, you know, don't pay any attention. Yeah, it's in a little village. Yeah, a little yeah. village, and he's like, don't pay any attention to them. They start talking to him, and um, Jack is about to open fire on these guys. Yeah, he's about to shoot them, and there's like six of them. Six of them. And then Joan's like, we're, we're looking for a car. Do you guys know where a car is? And they're like, oh, well, you know, go talk to the Bellmaker, so they go up to this really nice house the only really nice house in this village
1: well you can't really tell it's nice at first yeah. because it's behind like a wood wall yeah it's, it's almost like a fort yeah um and then when they they knock on the door this little slot opens like the wizard of oz and he's like, what do you want? You know, And they say, we heard you had a car. And he's just like, go away. Yeah. And then he points a gun
3: through Hit the slot. the road. <laughs> it's so the road. He cocks the gun. They turn around. They're backing away. And that's when they realize his six guys have followed them there. And they have their guns ready on him. And Jack goes, all right, right your way out of this one, Joan Wilder. And that's when we meet Juan, the guy with the gun behind the door. He's like, Joan Wilder?
1: I read your books. Yeah, and then he turns to the guys. He goes, "Hey, this is the woman whose books I, I read, read to you, you on Saturdays." Every Saturday.
3: Yeah. <laughs> it's so so good. So they arrive at the home of the gentleman. He, you know, and oh, he welcomes and them in.
1: When they come in, he's he's everybody is dressed like drug runners yeah. and, and poor farmers. He's wearing a Hawaiian shirt, khaki shorts, and sandals. He looks like a rich guy from Miami. Yeah, and as they go through the doors. He has this amazing, amazing palatial estate. Amazing estate. estate.
3: Oh, and my God. With
1: like a workout area yeah. and maids walking around. And he is so excited, so excited to talk to his favorite author. So,
3: meanwhile, Zolo and his men arrive at the village. They start harassing a woman who's ignoring him. And a young boy witnesses, and we see him book it towards Juan House. Juan is telling Joan about his fandom, offering her the liquor. And like he puts on a hat and some sunglasses. He's like, I could be a character in your book.
1: <laughs> and then they find out there's no phone in this town. There's no phone in the Um, town. The nearest town that has a phone is quite a ways away. Quite a ways away. And they say, well, could we use your car in some way? And that's what he says. Oh, they were joking with you. I have a little mule. Pepe. Pepe. But then we find out Go on, Dave.
3: Pepe is a giant ass truck. Yeah, a big old <laughs> Ford. So one evades Zolo's men, and they're shooting at him this whole drive. He's driving through the village, pointing out landmarks, telling them stories. Yeah,
1: he's so because he like all he wants to do is show her around the village. Yeah, he's like see that field over there? My mom was born in that field. <laughs> see that tree over there? My brother planted <laughs> that, that tree.
3: So finally, they're uh, they're trying to evade them at the last second, and they make it to this river. And Joan's like, oh, you mean the one without a bridge? And Jack's like, what do you mean the one? Or no, uh, Jack's like, you mean the one without a bridge? And she's like, what do you mean the one without a? Bridge? Ridge. That's when we see one hold up a remote. He pushes a button, a ramp comes out, and they ramp it over the river. But as they land, he pushes the button again, and now it's just a blockade. Yeah. And one car smashes into it, so now Zolo and his men cannot cross.
1: Yeah, and they fall into the river. And now they're just whipping through the countryside. Just whipping through the countryside. Awesome so they, stuff. That was a great chase scene. I love scene. that chase Very, sequence. very good. We
3: are not even doing it justice. You have to see this chase sequence. It goes on for at least, I want to say, like three to four minutes. It's
1: a good two or three. Yeah. And, well, and there's a lot of good dialogue in the chase scene, too. Yeah. Uh, but it's excellent. It's So one
3: takes them to a hillside, and Jack is looking around there lounging, and he notices there's a tree that looks an awful lot like the Devil's Fork. So he's like, alright, well, well, we gotta get going. So well, t-
1: Juan mentions that it's the Devil's yeah, Fork. Devil's yeah, Devil's
3: Fork. So he tells them it's time to go. Juan takes them into town, dropping them off. Right inside of Ralph, who was on the phone with Ira, he's like, I lost them. And he's like, you are the luckiest son of a bitch. Guess who just pulled up? So now Ralph is on their trail once again and Jack checks into a hotel room. He tells uh, Joan, you know, I guess this is the end. But before that, he asked the clerk if they have a Xerox machine and he's like, we do. Because before that, he asked Juan and he's like, oh, it's broken. like Because yeah. he wants to copy the map. So so,
1: so he gets a hotel room yeah. with a bathroom. Yep. Because he asked the guy and the guy says, all of our hotels have bathrooms. He's yeah. like, oh, you speak English. Great. So, So then he goes to Joan and he says, well, you know, she pays him. Pays him, yep. And and he says, well, you know, before you go, at least let me buy you dinner. Yeah. And then he gives her the room key and says, why don't don't you go get cleaned up? I'll get us some new rags rags. to wear. And she gets out of the shower and finds a beautiful dress. Yes. They get together. They have a wonderful – and this is where – finally some romancing. <laughs> uh, but this is where it starts to really click that they're that they're falling in love.
3: Yeah, and there's a giant celebration going on in the town. Yeah, the Hughes town party. is just having a massive party. And so they share a dance and uh, we see Ralph trying to steal the map and he's hiding under this woman's table and this this guy finds him and just starts like shaking the shit out of him.
1: Yeah. DeVito is the comic relief to oh, a yeah. T in this film, yeah.
3: So they share a dance and they share their first kiss. They go back to Jack's room and make love and Joan tells him, uh, you know, I think we should go along with your plan. You know, I think we should go get the Treasure in the better bargaining chip. Well,
1: she asks him in a pretty confrontational way. She asks him, Why haven't you stolen the map? Yeah. And he's very taken aback, and she's like, I just would assume you would steal the map. Yeah,
3: and that's when they reveal as they go back to making out that Jack puts his hand down and pulls the map under the mattress and puts it back in her bag. Yeah, he
1: had stolen (laughs) the map. He had stolen the map
3: indeed. (laughs) So in the morning, Zolo and his men arrive in the village and Jack and Jones sneak out past them. Uh, They end up stealing Ralph's car, unaware that he is sleeping in the back, and now they are following all the landmarks (laughs) to the treasure. They end up at a waterfall, folding the map to reveal a heart and reveal a waterfall on it. So they go behind the waterfall and they're looking for what's called Mother's Milk as the Last Landmark. And they find this white body of water, this little puddle. They start digging through it, and they find an Easter Bunny statue. Which I laughed out loud when I saw. It's it's because I love it because uh, Jack goes, somebody's got a real sick sense of humor. Yeah,
1: and then Joan points out that in one of her books, they hid the treasure in, in a statue. In the statue. So they shatter it open and yep. find the most impossibly green Jewel, yes, you've ever seen
3: a giant green jewel. Yes. And Ralph appears with a gun drawn on them. He takes it from him, has not put it in a bag, and he puts the he uh, has them go outside with him. Just as Zolo and his men arrive on the hill, Ralph books it. They steal his car and they're chasing after him. Jack leaps out, tackles Ralph, gets the gets the jewel, and they get back in the car, speeding away. And then <laughs> Ralph's line, oh my god, Mounties!
1: <laughs> yeah, there's just the horse mounted uh, uh cops of yeah. some sort. Yeah,
3: so Ralph is on the ground, the Mounties surround him. And uh, Joan decides that, you know, since they're in pursuit, she's going to go ahead and ramp the car right into the river. The water carries them into a waterfall. They leap out of the car as it goes over, and they are now on separate sides of the river. And Jack's like, I've got the diamond, I'll meet you, or I've got the jewel, I'll meet you back at uh, Cartagena. I'll meet you at the Cartagena Hotel, look for me. So she gets to the Cartagena Hotel and finds out that Jack is not checked in, and she calls Ira and sets up the exchange, and Ira's like, you know, you see the castle outside your window? Meet me there in two hours. Come alone. And this is where we get to the finale.
1: It's a hell of a finale too. It's hard to 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 run down an adventure movie. Yeah. Because it's so much spectacle, so much much great music, so much incredible stunts. And this is the height of 80s stunts. Yes. So it's just crazy car crashes, machine guns, rat-a-tat-tatting at nausea. There is a lot
3: of (laughs) violence in this movie. It's
1: so good, but but not a lot of people getting shot. No. They do a whole thing where, like, when they were in the little village earlier, in Juan's Village... Like where the machine gun bullets are like going across walls and a cow's just standing. there not getting hit. hit, Yeah, Yeah, yeah.
3: it's super good. So two hours later, Joan arrives at the castle and she's walking around and she hears Ira's voice and he's like, you know, uh, show me the map. Let me see you have it. Lay it down. He uh, finds out that she does have a lane and they swap because he goes up and he's looking at the map and he's like, you know, if this is genuine, if this is if this is a fake and doesn't it doesn't complete that sentence. So he puts on his little monocle and he's looking at the map and he does the fake out of Joan Wilder. You and your sister can go. Yeah, it's such a great fake out. You and your sister can go. Yeah. yeah. So Elaine so- and Joan are moving, and then all of a sudden gunfire surround their feet, and yes. that's when we find out that Zolo is there, but not just Zolo. Jack pops out and goes, missed you at the hotel. Pushes him. The guards surround him. We all did. So they ambushed yes. him in the Carnahana Hotel, and they also know that they've got the, the treasure because... Down on the ground goes Ralph, who has been beaten to a pulp, and he has another one of my favorite lines where he's like, Ira, these hands, these hands are going to break every bone in your body. Later, yeah, he cocked the gun. He's like, later though. <laughs> so Zolo burns the map. He's like, it's useless. They already have the treasure. He asks about the stone, and Joan claims that they don't know what it, they don't know where it is. They dug, but they found nothing. So Zolo decides to take her to a crocodile pit, and he cuts her hand summoning uh, summoning the crocs. And Jack tells him to stop. He goes, she doesn't know where it is, but the stone is close. And he goes, where is it? And he's like, it's close. I've got it in a safe place. That's when he has one of his men hit him right in the balls with a gunstock.
1: Wicked hard.
3: Wicked hard. But that also reveals that he shakes around a little bit and out comes the stone onto his foot, just bouncing on his foot.
1: And I had it in the old crotch pocket.
3: Had it in the crotch pocket. He has it <laughs> resting on his foot and he goes, choke on it. And kicks it across and Zolo catches it. He goes, thank you, my friend. But he doesn't realize his hand is right over the crocodile pit as one just Snaps his hand right off.
1: It jumps up and I and gorily rips Gourly. his hand off. And I think that the reason they could get away with that in PG thirteen is because he was such a bad yeah, guy. Yeah, he's the villain. He had yeah. done so many bad things that it rips his hand off, and he immediately is like covering it and trying to he's wrap drooling. it. Drooling,
3: he's, he's going he's drooling crazy. I mean,
1: it's a very violent, moment. very
3: violent moment. So that's when Jack knocks out a guard. He steals the gun, getting a gun, uh, just opening fire on everybody. Joan grabs Zolo's knife, and he takes and uh, takes Elaine to safety. Zolo is pissed now he arms himself with a sharp piece of wood and he goes after Joan and Elaine and uh, that's when Jack notices that the croc that ate the stone is getting out of the water and possibly getting away ah, I gotta get that stone so he goes after the croc and begins to move through the castle gunfire erupts all around the castle as Iron and his men are scrambling with Ralph trailing behind them they get on a boat and of course Ralph is like come back for me and he's like I'll send the boat back for you when soon and the boat only goes like the, the little boat, 100 feet.
1: I, I think like 60 <laughs> like it just goes over the water a little bit to a bigger ship. Yeah. And he's just like soon soon, soon. soon. So Jack trails
3: the croc <laughs> as it begins to exit to the water. He grabs it and he's got it by the tail. And that's when he sees that Zolo is caught up to Joan and Elaine and she's crying for help. And she also still has his knife. He's getting up on her, and she throws the knife just like out of the beginning of the movie with her character, and he catches it on the piece of wood, takes it, and now he's charging at her. Jack has the gun right behind him, still holding the crock, and he decides that he's going to go for the gun. When he's right in the line of sight, he goes and fires the gun and click. It's empty. Yes. So now Oof. Joan is right in Zolo's sight, and Jack starts scaling the. the he literally starts scaling the wall of the castle, yeah. which I kind of forgot. Just starts
1: climbing it. It's epic. It's, no, it's totally. It's epic. totally epic. So and it's important to mention by letting go of the tail of the crocodile, in theory, the stone is possibly stone gone was, forever. Yeah, because now the crocodile's in the ocean. Yeah.
3: So the croc the river yeah, the it, croc yeah, yeah. goes down. Jack is scaling the wall, and uh, Zolo has made it to Joan, and they're they're fighting and rolling on the ground, and they're right above a croc pit, which has just wood uh, bearing over. Joan struggles as Jack climbs the tower, and finally she grabs Zolo's cigar that he smokes the entire movie, basically. He's going through them all, and she burns him with it. He rolls over onto a lantern, and now he's on fire. He's even more pissed. He comes after her, but he is so weakened by this point, he just falls straight into the crock pit.
1: (laughs) Into the crock pot. The crock pot into the crock pot. Yes, I remember when his arm got bit off. I turned to you, I was like, are we watching Hook? Yeah.
3: So Ralph (laughs) is left by Ira as the police begin to arrive. Jack tells Joan and Elaine to get to the American Embassy, tell them everything except don't mention his name. He goes back to Cartagena Police and he doesn't want that coming back on him. So uh, she goes, you know, you're leaving me. And he goes, you're going to be all right, Joan Wilder. And they share one more kiss. And then he dives off the tower into the water, swims away. And now we cut back to New York sometime later. Gloria sits at the desk reading and gushing over Joan's new book. And we find out that she has completely written about her adventure.
1: Yeah, although. Yes. In the version she wrote. Uh Uh-huh. They then he finds her at the airport, airport yes. and they travel the world. And they together, travel the world, which was not necessarily no. What happened?
3: Not necessarily at all. And she calls her a world class hopeless romantic, and she corrects her hopeful romantic. <laughs> so we see Joan carrying groceries going back to her house, and right in front of her house is a giant sailboat on a trailer that just happens to be the one that Jack was looking at. And there's Jack on yes. top of the boat
1: in the. And I I gotta say. Loved that image, was not expecting a sailboat in the middle of New York City. No. Um, And it's giant. It's
3: giant, with the sail up and everything. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's huge, and he's standing on it, and I felt like this was the moment that I was like, all right, this movie's super romantic. Yes,
3: so he kicks a rope ladder up, she climbs up, and as she gets to the top, he reveals that he has crocodile boots, and he says... (laughs) Poor guy had a fatal uh, case of indigestion, died right in my arms. And she says, I can't think of a better place I would be. (laughs) They share a kiss and the boat starts moving through the town. And that is the end of Romancing the Stone.
1: Yes. And what a ride that film is. Sincerely, I can't believe I missed out on it. I really loved it. Super super fun. It's a lot of fun. And uh, uh, before we get into our uh, trivia, our, our trivia, you want to you want to do the the rent it or buy it or oh, what you think?
3: This is a hundred percent a buy it for me. Yeah, yeah. I think this is one of the best romantic adventures. Um, a while, a couple years ago, I think. I think it's been a couple years now. The the Lost City came out with Channing Tatum, which and I Sandra really enjoyed. Bullock. Yeah, and I remember watching it, being like, man, this reminds me so much of Romancing the Stone. And Lost City is a really good movie. The reveal of the treasure at the end, especially, is so so good. But um, Romancing the Stone, it's a buy it for me because this, like I said at the beginning of the show, has a little bit of everything. It's a super fun movie, moves at a bullet pace. I mean, you are you are in and out, it feels like, almost. Yeah, it zooms. And you've got a great cast of characters. You've got a great uh, bunch of action sequences. You've got some really sweet romantic scenes, a lot of laughs. And overall, I mean, you are just going to have a good time with this movie, any crowd. And uh, family, friends, everybody will like this movie.
1: Okay, well... For me, I'm I'm gonna give it a rent it. Okay. I think it's a must watch if you especially if you love 80s nostalgia. Yeah. Um if you're a nostalgia freak, then you would absolutely wanna own it. Oh, yeah. I mean, without a doubt. Yeah. But I think that at the very least, it needs to be in your brain library like you need to have seen it yeah um so i wouldn't say wait for it to come about to you i would say seek it out and give it a watch i think romancing the stone was very good even if i felt like the stone was not that romance (laughs) so
3: we'll get to that in a second actually okay the film had a budget of 10 million dollars what would you like to what it was it was a modest success we'll just say
1: well, you already told me it was a hit. It was gangbusters. Because uh, that's what brought about Back to the Future.
3: Take a guess at Worldwide. Just take a guess at Worldwide. I would guess in the $100 million range. $115 million. Wow. That is a friggin' hit. Released in March 30th of 1984. <laughs> like I said, everybody thought it was going to flop. Studio executives fired Zemeckis from Cocoon over it, and then it becomes a big hit. So much so that they put out the sequel the very next year. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. So studio execs were so sure the film would flop, Zemeckis was fired, and that's like what got him his Back to the Future to be made, because they were like, you know what? You're good. Go go ahead. Whoopsie doodle. In the famous dance sequence, uh, Douglas was not aware that he was being filmed. He was dancing with Turner and some of the extras and was surprised to find Zemeckis had been filming the entire time.
1: Uh, maybe believe
3: maybe, that. Yeah. I
1: mean, it's it's a little harder to sneak a you know gigantic thirty five millimeter camera around, but maybe it, maybe that's true. I can believe it.
3: The film was originally supposed to be in Colombia, however, life imitated art, and there was a rise in American kidnappings, so the filming was moved to Mexico.
1: Yeah, when the film started, I was like, uh, Colombia in like the height of the cocaine trade. Yeah. Doesn't really seem like the way to go. Not really. So yeah, Mexico, I think smarter.
3: So according to Kathleen Turner's m- memoir, Douglas originally offered the role to Deborah, w- Deborah Winger, but after a fateful meeting at a Mexican restaurant, where according to Douglas, she ended up biting him, she didn't get the part.
1: I have <laughs> I have so many thoughts and questions. Same. But I'm. You know what though? But I had this button made specially for moments like this. What? And quit show business. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's great. Oh yeah,
1: my I've God, been that's waiting great. to unveil that one to you for a while. That's so. fantastic. Uh, but what else? What other trivia you got for Romancing us? Romancing
3: the Stone is jeweler's jargon that refers to a step in preparing a gem for use in jewelry. Oh, okay. So that okay, is where no, Romancing the Stone sense. comes yeah, from. Yeah. Clint Eastwood, Jack Nicholson, Christopher Reeve all turned down the role of Jack T. Colton. Stallone turned down the role to star in Rhinestone, a decision that he unfortunately went to regret. I
1: I mean it would be a whole other movie with Stallone. Oh yeah, I mean it'd be I think I'd, it'd be fun, but it'd be a totally
3: different film. I feel like it would have been a hard R. <laughs> uh,
1: I don't know if it would have been a hard R, but I feel like it would have been a lot uh, funnier. Yeah, uh, I can see it that. would have to be funny, or it would have had to have been like a straight action movie, which I don't think really would fit the the tone of this no. uh, this film at all. No, not at all.
3: So Jessica Lange turned down the role for Joan Wilder uh, for uh, the desire to tackle more serious work. Yeah, I mean, fair, fair enough. Many believe that Romancing the Stone is a ripoff or a cash-in on the success of Raiders of the Lost Ark. The script, however, was written in 1979 before Raiders even existed, and it wouldn't be another five years before the film went into production. And finally, Douglas, while billed first, does not appear in the film until the first 24 minutes.
1: That's true. He comes in right at the second act. Yep.
3: Yeah. So that are the those are the notes and trivia on Romancing the Stone. I uh, I, I just, I, I love this movie. I just, I cannot say that enough. And, you know, we like to end the show by giving a couple couple recommendations i've got two this week uh first one is bird on a wire with mel gibson and goldie hawn from 1990 an old flame discovers her ex-boyfriend from the past is a relocated fbi informant out to stop the bad guys it's a really fun i mean loaded action movie and a lot of comedy sure um that you can find pretty easily and the second one i'm going to give is the golden child with eddie murphy from 1986 really i think it's a a pretty good romantic adventure even though romance isn't super heavy I mean, in it
1: for the record he doesn't romance the child he does not the golden child no.
3: uh, a private detective specializing in missing children is charged with the task of finding a special child whom dark forces want to eliminate if you want a movie with uh demons eddie murphy quibbing non-stop um and there is uh a, a full scene that features the rat song body talk in a, in a biker house that i've always loved uh, that's fair yeah. um b- golden child and Bird on a wire those are my two recommendations what you got uh, well, my
1: recommendations, considering I had to watch the film first,
3: Yes, I would
1: say Overboard. I almost said Overboard. Yeah, Overboard yeah. is definitely a big one for me because I think that that has a similar mindset and a yeah. similar attitude. And if I wanted to go with something else that, that I think you would like if you like this movie, but it isn't just like it. Yeah, I would have to go with uh, Mom and Dad Save the World. Uh, that's a good pick. I love Mom and Dad Save the World. I
3: think Mom and Dad Save the World's fun.
1: I know it's just Jeffrey Jones keeps sneaking back into he our does. show. He and, does. Uh, it's worrisome, but no, <laughs> uh, Romancing the Stone from 1984. Yes, I, I yeah I, I can't. You can't beat a good time with those two actors.
3: I'm so happy that you enjoyed it. I knew you would, but like I just, when when we finished and you were just like, that was really good, I was quite happy because now I'm two for two, so the third one's, I'm probably going to fuck up, whatever it is.
1: Quit bullying me. Well, my friends, before we get out of here after another thrilling edition of Do You Even Movie, we just want to say thank you guys so much for checking us out, whether you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us on the podcast feed. If you want to find out more about what we're doing here, you can go to doyouevenmovie.com. And if you are watching on YouTube, please leave a comment about the film if you have your own opinions you want to share. Yes. Uh, We love the comments. We love getting emails at doyouevenmoviepod at gmail.com. i feel that because we have been recording ahead dave has been selflessly helping me get recorded ahead then i got covid which made it a little hard to catch up absolutely but uh but we're recording ahead because i'm producing a movie for the next 10 days coming up so i won't have time to sit down with you and watch a flick for a little while but we will be back next time with uh the little Little giants Giants, which i cannot wait to revisit the little giants um and uh, is there anything else you want to get so, across before we take off?
3: Of course, you can also follow us on the other socials. We are on TikTok at Do Even Movie Pod, along with Instagram as well, at Do Even Movie Pod. You can find us on X and Facebook. And uh, make sure that you uh, give us some ratings on Apple or Spotify. Yeah. We would love to have some more of those ratings or even just uh, reviews, ratings, whatever. It just yeah. it helps people see us.
1: Straight up, if you are sitting here and you have listened this long, yeah. you're listening all the way to the end, Take a second right now. If you go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, even if you're not listening there, go to Do You Even Movie. Just type in Do You Even Movie there. Giving us a five star rating on there immensely helps people discover the show. Yeah. So we have a pretty uh, decent audience checking out the podcast. A lot of you, I'm thrilled to say, have joined us from Freddy's Nightmares podcast, and we really do appreciate it. Oh, and uh, we've been getting proofs of the Freddy's Nightmares companion book. That's that we are co-authors on. It's still a ways away. Yeah. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised. It might, don't quote me on this, but it might be good by October.
3: I would love that.
1: So, uh, and when that happens, we'll do a special show, uh, which will be simulcast here and on the Old Freddy's Nightmares podcast yes. uh, feed. Uh, that'll be really exciting. That will be fun. Uh, but for now, my friends, thank you so much for joining us, and we will see you next Tuesday. Bye. You laugh every time because you're a child. Yeah, that's fair. You're a child.